The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I am back, viewers and listeners. Y'all thought you could get rid of me. I wasn't here last week. The show went uncharacteristically dark last week because I had surgery and have the horrific scars to prove it, but I am back in the game, folks. Uh, I am bespectacled because I can't wear contacts for a while, but otherwise completely back in business, ready for action and excited to be back on the air again. Oh my God. I, I didn't realize how needy I was about needing a microphone to talk into on a regular basis until I was out one without one for just one week. But thankfully, oh, I got you back. My, my microphone here, we're, we're all back in business again, and I'm not alone in, uh, talking to you. We got, uh, someone joining us this week. We have a guest co-host this week, somebody who we don't see all the time, but we've seen a few times and enjoy it. Every time they join us joined by musician, DJ, producer, entrepreneur, CTO, so many different hats. This person wears and we love every single one of those hats. Bill Down Upright Bolden joining us this week. Hi, Bill. We gotta unmute you. Try again. Hello, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. Bill Down Upright Bolden, phoning in from sunny Buffalo, New York to be here on the show. Um, always a pleasure. And uh, since the last time I was on the show, Ryan and I uh, have embarked on many ventures together which is which yeah is pretty fun it's been to talk about some of them but yeah it's been an absolute blast i mean since the last time you've been on this show because you know you've been doing a lot of music and business projects i've gotten to do some of them with you together and it's been really cool and now i relish the opportunity to have you here to not only just continue the cool conversations we have on a regular basis about the music industry and about entrepreneurship and about big business and all of that but to have you share some of the stuff that you have going on. So a little bit of a teaser here. At some point during this broadcast, Bill, I want you to talk about your latest musical Kickstarter project that you talked about last time you were on the show a few months ago. But back then, it was still kind of in its early stages. We were just promoting the Kickstarter. But since that time, the Kickstarter has been a success. The project itself is done. And a little bit later, I want to talk about we're doomed we're dancing your 60 track 60 minute 60 genre really ambitious album project that i think has stretched your brilliance as a producer as a songwriter as an engineer as a musician it's really really cool i think the viewers and listeners are going to love hearing about it but before we get into that bill i got a lot i got a lot of things on the agenda some very very serious you know important things about the industry 
but also some things that are just downright frivolous, including this first thing I want to talk to you about, which is just a completely frivolous issue and frankly is a little bit past its expiration date. I probably should have talked about this at least a week or two ago, but again, I've been off for a week, so I didn't get a chance to talk about this story. And I've, I have so many things to say about this piece of pop culture and I can't keep it in anymore. Are you familiar, Bill, with the movie, I think it's still out now, called Madam Web? I am familiar with the fact that there is discourse around it, but I have been trying to stay away from superhero movie discourse, right? Is this the thing where the actress was erroneously informed she'd be in the MCU and didn't realize she was joining the worst Fox cinematic universe? Or am I thinking of something else? Producer Lauren is nodding, so maybe some element of that is true. But like you, I'm also very behind on the superhero discourse. Like ever since Robert Downey Jr. put on the uh, the you know the gauntlet of Thanos, I'm getting all the terminology wrong. I already feel like the MCU nerds yelling at me. All right, I'm a casual fan, folks. But ever since he snapped those fingers, I have kind of checked out partially because i have an 18 month old and i honestly don't know a lot about this movie madam web i know it involves it's a superhero movie it has something to do with spiders and time travel the only thing i know about it for sure though is this one piece of the trailer that i've become obsessed with that tiktok has become obsessed with and i can't stop thinking about this one line of dialogue from the trailer that I want to play for you because it's just so completely unhinged as a line of dialogue. It is so unrealistic. It, it sounds like it was written by AI and I just need to play it for you. It's going to, we're going to play it right now. Here we go. Ezekiel Sims. He was in the Amazon with my mom when she was researching spiders right before she died. <laughs> Ezekiel Sims. He was in the Amazon with my mom when she was researching spiders right before she died. 17 word sentence trying to cram so many different plot elements into one sentence. I can't imagine that any person ever in human history has ever uttered that sentence which is just such an unusual collection of things to string together. And it's, I, I can't get over how insane that line of dialogue is, Bill. It is, let's say, overly expository. Um, <laughs> I don't know if the people behind this movie were wondering if there was like maybe a, a spider-shaped hole in the superhero scene that needed to be filled, but I have bad news for them if so. Yeah. Yeah, not enough spider movies. One more time with this. That man before. So who is he? Ezekiel Sims. He was in the Amazon with my mom when she was researching spiders right before she died. And like the stinger at the end, goom, 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 makes it even better. I feel so bad for Dakota Johnson to have to try to read that line of dialogue because she's not a bad actress. She's a perfectly great actress. But I submit to you that there is no actor, living or dead, on this planet. I'll give you the entire history of acting, Bill. And I submit to you there's not a single actor, living or dead, that could recite that line of dialogue and make it sound good. That line of dialogue in seems to have come from an alternate reality Hollywood where, like in some alternate Hollywood universe where... Every sentence costs a movie studio 
10 million dollars and so they have to cram as many things before the period as possible no matter how many commas it takes i'm i'm ha- i would hear it in christopher walken's voice yeah she was <laughs> in the amazon researching the spiders it was in the amazon with my mom when she was researching yeah like it might work with walking because he already kind of like puts commas afterwards that's what i think i'm leaning into is i want there to be more pauses yeah so i i went the walk-in direction but like that's the thing is that like every everything that christopher walken says is in like the form of a three-word sentence because he always puts a period in a sentence like he'll put three periods in the sentence because of the way he pauses I mean, I think the only way that you can read this line of dialogue and make it work as an actor, it's a shame that our our only professional actor here, producer Lauren, uh, is actually like recovering from like, you know, conjunctivitis or something right now. So she doesn't want to be on camera. She might have some perspective on this, but I think the only way you get through this line of dialogue is you just have to say it as fast as possible. Like you can't do any dramatic pauses because like you just you just need to acknowledge that this is just horrific dialogue and you need to get through it as fast as possible. I think or or and I actually just thought about this right now. I think this is how I think I think I want to re- amend my previous statement, Bill. I think there is one actor who could read this line of dialogue and it's Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, I think it's guilt because I think the only way you can read this dialogue is you just have to blast through it and shout every word with equal drama. He was in the Amazon with my mom when she was researching spiders right before she died. (laughs) That's the only way it works. (laughs) Yeah, I, I can't top that. I mean, all right. Well, one more time. One more time. One more time. Seen that man before. So who is he? Ezekiel Sims. He was in the Amazon with my mom when she was researching spiders right before she died. <laughs> Ezekiel Sims. Oh, <laughs> uh, exactly. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I I think he's no longer with us, right? I think he passed away. I am so sad that we don't have a world where we get to hear Gilbert Gottfried say, Ezekiel Sims! You did hear the old thing where he narr- auto- narrated the audiobook of Fifty Shades of Grey, right? Yes, I did hear that. That So that brings it full circle back to J- Dakota Johnson again. That's great. Um, well, and I know everybody's like, Ryan, you're doing Madam Web bits like, that trend is over and done again. I've been going through surgery people. I'm a little behind everything, but I had to talk about that because that's completely insane. Now to serious matters, Bill. Um, something we've been talking about a lot on this show the last few weeks, and I'd like to get your perspective on it as not just a, a student of the music industry, but just of business in general. And, and you are no stranger to the, uh, the tomfoolery that these big companies often engage in and like the silly messaging they indulge in and traffic in at the expense of creators. But as you know, pretty much for the entire month of February, UMG and TikTok have been in a feud where UMG saying that TikTok has not paid them enough for their music has pulled all of their music from the TikTok platform. So for the last month, TikTok has been a decidedly less musical place. Like one out of every three videos you try to watch on that platform now are muted because they involve they have UMG material and UMG has pulled its license from TikTok 
And so it's a crappy platform now. And UMG does have a point when they say, hey, we're not going to put our music back until we can get a new licensing deal because TikTok pays less than peanuts, pays garbage to use our music. And that's true. Like, I'm not defending TikTok as being any kind of good payer to artists or to labels because they're not. But what I'm objecting to lately, Bill, is the is the tactic of universal music and some of its supporting organizations to try to frame this as an artist rights endeavor, like that they're doing this to fight for creators. I read an article recently in Billboard magazine from the president of Sound Exchange, Michael Hupp, basically taking this position, right, that UMG is doing this because they're fighting for artists and they're fighting for helping these creators. Uh, from the article, quote, UMG is doing the right thing by standing up for artists, conceivably by not putting their music on TikTok right now. The label is making the case that creators should be paid fairly for the use of their tracks in line with other platforms. UMG recognizes that the lure of potentially viral promotion is in no way a substitute for fair compensation to hardworking creators. And to me, you know, as somebody who spent, you know, all of his life trying to get record labels to actually give a shoot about their creators. This is a shock to me that suddenly UMG standing up for artists. And of course, it's nonsense. UMG is not doing this because they want to do right by artists and help artists get paid. They're doing this because UMG wants to make money. Because make no mistake, no matter how much money TikTok winds up paying UMG when all this gets sorted out, None of that money is going to make it into an artist's pocket. None of that money is going to help an artist get any closer to recouping their advances that they have with their label. And so none of this is about getting money for artists. It's about getting money for UMG. And all of these labels are using artists as the, the, the thing that they're holding up as the thing that they're fighting for. But no, they're not fighting for the artist. Meanwhile, artists are on the ground getting hurt by this. Uh, UMG artists on TikTok are losing followers because their music's not on the platform anymore and their fans are getting upset. Hey, how come I can't hear your song on TikTok anymore? There was a an artist recently, Bill, called Maisie, who had a song called Dum Dum that took off because it was featured in an Uber Eats commercial. And so the artist wanted to keep that momentum going from that great sync placement, build her fan base on TikTok, except she's a universal artist. So the song can't be on TikTok and all of her fans are mad and she's losing all the momentum for this. So, you know, I understand UMG wanting to get the best licensing deal that they can, but don't say you're doing this for the artists, right? I, it's a little bit of both. You know, it's, it's the closest thing that I think artists really have to a union style negotiator is a big label who can throw their weight around. Um, because otherwise, it's every artist for themselves, and we're all out here hustling, and a lot of us will kneecap the artists in front of us to get one more <laughs> viral video than them, right? I mean, we've, it's not the most honorable scene. Uh, but I, I think there's some value to at least one heavyweight saying, like, no, you know what? Like, you can't essentially have all this for free. You can't build your whole business on this and give us only peanuts. Of course, it is also disingenuous that they pretend that this is all making it into Maisie's pockets when you, you, uh, the UMG... Uh, I will mute for a second as I type to go Google what the compensation of the UMG CEO is. 
One moment. <laughs> yes, please do. Yeah, count the zeros in Lucian Grange's bank account. But this, like, I mean, if this was really a fight for the artist, it'd be one thing. But make no mistake, no matter how good of a licensing deal UMG gets from TikTok out of this, no matter how much money TikTok starts paying UMG for UMG's music, even if they get the best deal in the world, none of that money is going to make UMG's artists any richer because of the way that record deals are structured. The way that these deals are structured is... The label spends money, they pay the artist in advance, and the artist doesn't see any royalties until all that money is recouped, which, by the way, unless you're Ed Sheeran or Taylor Swift, it never gets recouped. And so, yeah, you uh, TikTok pays UMG a little bit of extra money. That little extra money is never going to recoup what the artist owes the label, quote unquote. And so that money's never going to make it into the artist's pocket. Meanwhile, right here, right now, Artists who are signed to UMG are in a worse position because now they're trying to promote themselves on TikTok without their music. That that is really rough, and I don't. Um, by the way, I have my answer. Um, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> I I was gonna be like, oh look, three million dollars, four million dollars. Oh God, no, Damn. no, no, no. Uh, we are looking at fifteen point four million euros base. And bonuses equivalent to 1% of the entire EBITDA of UMG, oh. which is another $31.5 And I'm sure he's got like some kind of uh, equity or things like that. I mean, that is that that's equity. like if you get 1% of the whole yeah. EBITDA, that's. Who needs you want like, to call that equity or you just want to call it? Well, I don't know. Maybe he thing. gets like straight salary plus bonus plus he's got stock options. I don't I mean, yeah, yeah, whatever his comp package is, I would love it if like Lucian Grange came out and said, look, we are fighting for our artists to get bigger payouts from TikTok. But I also understand as the CEO of UMG that us fighting for these artists is hurting them right now because they can't promote themselves on TikTok in the same way. So I'm going to donate my giant, massive salary to Noah Khan and uh, to, uh, shoot, her, her name's already escaping me, to Mazzy and to all these universal artists who are mid-tier who uh, are having trouble paying their bills right now and who are hemorrhaging fans because their TikTok profiles have become silent. If I, if I heard that announcement, I would actually take these labels at face value when they say they're doing this for artists, but they are not doing it for their artists. Well, that's where the labor union comparison breaks down, right? Yeah. Uh, is like, you all pay your dues, so you have collective bargaining power, and the strike hurts everybody, but you yeah. hope you get something good on the other side of it. However, in a real collective bargaining situation, you can all draw on the dues you paid in to help make it through the strike that's right i think most of those dues are staying in grange's pocket that's right this is all going uh, to lucian grange's ebitda um you know meanwhile there you know we're also seeing articles that are talking about how labels are laying people off there's been uh, massive layoffs announced across a couple of the major labels now and that's something that hurts artists like the the labels are saying oh by by laying these people off, we're freeing up more money for artist promotion. But what really helps label artists are the people. Like There are going to be a lot of artists who are losing their person, quote unquote, at the label, who helps shepherd their account, who's championing their cause at the label. And so layoffs are generally, like, you know, staff layoffs are generally not good for artists. And I got to say, like, I'm, I'm putting my, 
my 2000 hat on with this. Like the last time I remember uh, record labels doing massive layoffs, I don't remember it being a particularly good time for the music industry. I mean, we're talking about 2000 where the music industry fell apart, where revenues went to about half of what their peak was. And so when I see labels announcing layoffs again, I'm not thinking, oh, this is good for the industry. I'm ready to hide under a blanket. It does make me happy that I'm an indie musician. Uh, I, I got to say, um, there's never been a better time to be an indie musician because at least the rules are mostly what you think they are. There's also never been a worse time to be an indie musician because making money is basically impossible without my Kickstarters. Uh, but that's what I have a day job for. I don't know. It's You really got to look. This comes back to something that I've been noticing is that um, – Online fame in general, but also music specifically, has really been replaced with sort of a lottery ticket system where there is no regular amount of like ascension and skill that leads to a stable career. You just keep buying tickets and winner take all the billion dollar prize, right? Well, not billion. I mean, that's just Taylor Swift, but million, right? So... (laughs) You're kind of just plugging away and you can make 10 albums. You can make 50 albums, one song, one viral shampoo ad, and one good TikTok where somebody says something silly over it. And you got your half million dollars and it has nothing to do with everything you did before and everything to do with what you did after. So the the winning strategy is to keep going back to the well and rolling the dice again and again and again. Maybe this, you know, TikTok where I try to invent a slang word and put it over one of my beats is the one that goes viral. Maybe the TikTok where I do it while I eat a whole block of cheese in one bite is the one that goes viral. Um, Are these hypothetical so, TikToks or can I go find a video of you right now eating a block of cheese? Because oh, that's, I'm not that's entertainment, TikTok. baby. I, I refuse to play this game. Listen, I, uh, I launch startups for a living and that is enough lottery ticket based motivation for me because that's just lottery tickets as far as the eye can go because you just keep working for like bottom market rates in the <laughs> hopes that one of them becomes Uber except less evil and then you make a billion dollars. Uh, hopefully you sell your shares before they turn into Uber. I was just thinking as somebody who works with a bunch of startups as a fractional CTO helping hoping to, uh, you know, that that the next horse that you ride on is a unicorn. Uh, you know, you're already kind of familiar with the lottery ticket system that you're describing in the music industry. You just do it in the uh, startup world and in the music world. I yeah, and I refuse to do it in the music world. I, I guess I'm I'm weird because my day job is the wild fly by night, wild <laughs> west. Like, oh cool, this company just made a million bucks. Oh week, this company raised two million dollars from investors and the one broke in three months. right and yet my my music career i will not play the like i'm gonna sample rick and morty and turn it into a dubstep drop game i will not play the watch me eat a block of cheese while my beats play in the background game on that front i'm slow and steady wins the race like a lot of people are with their regular careers well Uh, since we've you know, since we've hinted about your music career and what you're doing as an indie artist, and I will preface it by saying that the stuff you do as an indie artist 
both on like the business side in terms of how you set up your projects as Kickstarters, as well as the final creative output of what you do. These really ambitious album projects make you one of my favorite indie creators out there. And I love it whenever you bring new things into the world. And so when you do, we love to bring you through Break the Business so you can tell everybody about what you're doing. So can you tell us about the status of your current project that's coming out, We're Doomed, We're Dancing? You told us a little bit about it a few months ago when it was first being conceived. And now it is, it's done. It's, it's coming out. It's uh, in like a few weeks. Tell us about this because this is so cool. Yeah. Sure. So I've always had a thing going back uh, a decade now for really weird Kickstarters that try to reinvent what a musical release can be. And that that started in 2015 back under my old artist name with Music to Die Alone in Space 2, the ambient album that I would re-record for every person who bought it. And um, I pre-sold 25 grand's worth of th that album and spent over two years recording 300 plus distinct copies of it. Uh, I then two and a half years later tried pieces, which was a chopped up story distributed narratively through audiobooks and audio logs across another hundred copies of an album. And only by collecting all hundred copies, could you ever figure out what the narrative was supposed to be? Um, the big difference is this time around, I had I really went back in the tank on production and focused a lot more on execution. A good idea isn't enough anymore. I need to also just really stick the landing, right? And so after having attended production school, upped my game in a lot of ways, we started We're Doomed, We're Dancing in 2022. The idea is the world is ending in like a hundred different ways. Take your pick. And we are going to look at how the world ends to each of 60 different kinds of music. And we're going to do it in one hour. Every kind of music gets exactly 60 seconds. And then I mix it all into one continuous song. And it was a big ask that I didn't know how it was going to play out. But I knew I wanted to do it on Kickstarter because I knew I wanted to let the backers F with me. <laughs> Which is real. I mean, seriously, um, that's probably the biggest reason. First, it never hurts to have a little cash up front to help pay all the musicians I'd be hiring. But uh, yeah, the backers came back, and I did the surveys and the polls, and I'm like, "All right, guys, pick my pick my genres," and it's like a chorale, right? Yeah, and it's like, well, we weird, wacky stuff. Yeah, this yeah. was 60 different tracks, each of them 60 seconds, and each track is a completely different genre, and you like ran the genre gamut. It wasn't like, oh, this one is uh, pop rock, and this one is hard rock. No, you have everything from like Euro pop to chip tunes to rap, like you, you, you know, to chorales. Like you went all over the place with this, and it, and it had to have challenged you as a producer and as a songwriter and as a musician and as a DJ to have to like get skilled at all of these different genres. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the, the track list right now on the other monitor and I can just read this one 10, 10 track progression. This is a 10 minute span of the album that goes jazz eighties, hair metal, 
hip-hop, black metal, opera, choir, elevator music, synth-pop, jam band, soul. And that (laughs) – and they're all fluid. They just run into each other. And so, you know, without the backers, I would not have thought I should go do a pastiche track in the style of They Might Be Giants and Weird Al Yankovic. But they demanded it. And so I went and got my accordion out of storage. And here we are. And no, I wouldn't have made a Aqua Vanga Boys sound-alike track for you. Yeah. But you asked because you were a backer. So I was obliged. And then... um. Here we are with the track white tracksuit. And so then the other fun thing about it is that we have no shortage of ways in which the world is literally falling apart. And we were able to pick different flavors of apocalypse for every genre. And it's a lot of fun. Like, you know, it's not 60 straight tracks of whining about climate change. Like in the Norwegian black metal track, which is called... (laughs) I heard there was a secret chord that Jacob played to piss off the Lord. Um, it's I love about the titles the, of some of these, by the way. <laughs> the gates of hell opening and demons flooding the earth because God is angry. But in the Rockabilly track, it's about a guy with a souped up classic car that he believes can just go faster than the oncoming apocalypse whatever form it might take. He says, I'll outrun the zombies. I'll outrun the tidal waves. Um, and so everybody's just got their their own little take on it. In the Chiptunes track, it's an AI that ends the world, a self-aware AI. Um, and then this one guy, the, the guy I hired for the UK grime track to write the rap for UK grime rap, I gave him the same pitch as everyone else. I told him, like, pick any one of the million ways the world is ending and make that your your topic for your rap. And he came up with the most bonkers thing I ever heard. His track is number uh, 48 on the album. It's called Voyager. And in a minute, he tells a story of how the golden record that was blasted into space with the Voyager space probe was intercepted by aliens who realized our music was much better than theirs. (laughs) (laughs) And came back to Earth to enslave all our musicians to make us toil in their music minds. And it's all because we put that golden record out there. And that is like the most – that guy didn't have – Fabian Miles, if you're listening, Fabian Miles, you didn't have to go this hard, but you did. And we're all glad. I I, I mean, do you know off the top of your head how many collaborators you worked with on this project? Uh, just north of 50. It's like 51 across oh the 60 gosh. tracks. That's... There's about 15 tracks that are all me. Then there's about 15 tracks that are me, but I needed better guitarists and bassists. There's about 15 tracks that are produced by me, but I can't rap or sing reggaeton in Spanish or sing K-pop raps in Korean. So someone else is doing it. And then there's a handful of stuff that I just went wholesale to another collaborator. The track by our um, recurring friends of the show, Elisa and Evan, of course, who make up Crimson. They have a track on there. And that one, uh, really, they they brought the meat of the stuff. And I just got in there and really screwed with the mixing until it sounded exactly like a U2 song. 
and I, I do like that one very much. And I know the fans of Break the Business here are going to love hearing Elisa Rock Doc on a track. So, uh, Producer Lauren, if you could, if we can have it queued up for the end of the show, if we can play the the Crimson song from We're, We're Doomed, We're Dancing, so that uh, the Break the Business fans can get to hear Elisa Rock Doc uh, just singing her butt off with uh, Evan playing guitar. It is an absolute treat, as are all the other tracks on that. I mean, I'll say this, Bill. To me, this project represents so much of what we love and celebrate about indie music and what it does, right? It's it's about collaboration, right? You got to work with all these amazing artists. It's about fan engagement. You know, you your fans helped make this album by proposing genres. The power of crowdfunding to not only fund your project, but to build interest around it. Like so many things that make being an indie creator awesome are embodied by this project. And the end result, really fun to listen to. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I know the viewers and listeners will as well. Can you quickly give them like an idea of if they want to check this out, what mm-hmm. what's going to be happening over the next few weeks? Sure. Uh, so the album is done in stores just not released yet it releases april 4th which is going to be uh when this airs that'll be like five thursdays from now ish april 4th 2024 or you could just go like you know bag one of the backers for their early pre-sale copy but um the backers already <laughs> have it yeah it is their special privilege for having backed and nobody complained when it took 10 months longer than it was supposed to take well, it's uh, not a Kickstarter project unless it's 10 months late. That's it's not just... a Bill Bolden Kickstarter if it doesn't get way away from me, but I always finish, right? I always finish. Absolutely. So um, anyway, April 4th, uh, fun fact, some of the track titles are too long for Spotify. Uh, you actually have, I heard there was a secret chord that Jacob played to piss off the Lord, Black Metal featuring Code Pig to thank for me discovering the uh, (laughs) invisible track name length. Um, Also, there is an album track count length on Spotify. Did not know that one. It tops out at 35. And so this had to be formally uploaded as a side one and side two. So just two distinct LPs to even make this thing possible. Uh, They're both going live on April 4th. Yeah. And um, also a third copy goes live on April 4th of just the whole thing as a single file. If you're hardcore and you just want to listen through in one setting. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, It's been a wild 18 months. I didn't, I thought I was going to need about 40 collaborators, not 50, but I started getting greedy and then there started being a little bit of momentum. Um, Some things were more expensive than I thought, like hiring an entire choir to perform the <laughs> chorale piece. Um, and some, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised which which collaborators got you know five hundred bucks for their efforts and which got ten. But uh, everybody has their own rates, and um, I man, I I just don't know what else to say. It's a wild ride. I just want to point out only an indie could do this, right? Because yeah. there's a different. I had a daydream the other day where it's like what I could have done with a major label behind me. And I'm imagining like, you know, if I had $500,000 to work with instead of 5,000, 
then instead of writing and hiring session musicians to write my own country track and fading it into a reggaeton, I'd just go get, you know, uh, Chris Stapleton and Bad Bunny and put them in the same room together or whatever. But then I realized, like, big big labels just couldn't do this. This is only an indie could have made this happen. It is too heavy of a blimp to get off the ground at a big scale. Only an ant can lift 100 times its own weight. And can you just imagine an artist like Mazzy trying to go up to Sir Lucian Grange and saying, I want to do a 60 genre, 60 minute, uh, 60 track album and uh, and him just like smacking her on the head with a ruler. This is a cool project, Bill. I want to bring you Thank back you. on in April, if you could, as a guest on when this day. gets released so that we can talk more about this. Um, I do. We got to take a break, though, because when we come back, we're going to bring in our guest this week. We're going to be talking with Jeff Ponchik, the founder and CEO of Mogul. I think you're going to have a lot of great stuff to talk about uh, with Jeff Bill as a business person. This is a financial platform. Mogul is a financial platform for musicians that connects and integrates different royalty platforms together for artists. We're going to have a lot to talk with him about. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in two minutes with Jeff Ponchik here on Break the Business. Break the Business is presented in cooperation with Ryan A. Carella, PA. Ryan A. Carella PA is a law firm providing transactional entertainment legal services, including contracts, business formation, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Ryan A. Carella PA, Miami, Florida. RKPALaw.com. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by LEK Entertainment. LEK Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. LEK Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Ryan Carella here with Bill Bolden, just having a great time talking about amazing 60-second tracks, thinking about Gilbert Gottfried saying, Ezekiel Sims, and just having a grand amount of grand, wonderful time for so many reasons. Thank you for checking us out wherever you check us out, whether it is on live streaming platforms like Twitch and YouTube or soon to be volume.com, whether it's on all major podcasting platforms or whether it's on Sirius XM 145, wherever you are taking in this program. I got to say, we're just so glad that you are. Thanks for hanging with us. Thanks for telling a friend. Let's go ahead and bring out our guest this week, Bill. He is the founder and CEO of Mogul a financial platform that musicians for musicians that connects and integrates an artist's various royalty platforms and helps creative professionals keep track of and identify all of the places where they are making money. 
Mogul currently tracks over $44 million in artist revenue and has already identified more than $3 million in unclaimed royalties for its initial cohort of artists. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.usemogul.com. We are happy to welcome Jeff Ponchik on to Break the Business. Hi, Jeff. Hi, nice to meet you. It is a pleasure to meet you as well. Let's talk about money. We want artists to get money. We want them to make money. As uh, Bill was talking about in the prior segment, it's tough out there for indie creators to get paid. And you know, I'm, and so we're grateful for the work of companies like Mogul that are trying to make this a little bit easier because it's hard, man. It is hard to keep track of all the different places where artists are making money. Why, Jeff, is it so hard to keep track of all these different royalty streams? Uh, well, first off, before I answer the question, Bill, really stoked to listen to that album. That sounds super excited. And Ryan, I am so impressed with your awesome broadcast voice. It is like incre incredible to listen to you. So um, uh, Flattery will get yeah, you everywhere, and, and, Jeff. Thank you. Yes. And very excited to be here. Um, so yeah, why is it so difficult for people to understand their income and track their royalties? I think... Um, well, my tin hat theory is that uh, the industry is rigged against artists, to be completely honest. <laughs> like, I'm going to go there. I think that there's about $2.5 billion that doesn't get paid out in the music industry due to improper registrations, uh, improper metadata, you know, companies not knowing who to pay out on certain things. And in a lot of cases, that black box money goes where? It goes into the hands of, you know, the major publishers and major labels. So, um, yeah, you know, we've been building this platform, which literally, I think we're, we support about 80 platforms now. We, and we built out 80 integrations from everyone from Sound Exchange to ASCAP, BMI, PRS, Universal Music to DistroKid. And yeah, we've seen a ton of different dashboards and processes for people to register and collect on their money. And across the board, the technology is terrible. And so we identified that problem and we're trying to create a centralized place for folks that's easy, feels safe, and solves the problem in which, you know, people just don't feel in the dark about their business. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit more about what this looks like in practice? Because I'm going to tell you what this looks like right now for me as an entertainment lawyer. I have an artist who will be, you know, somebody like Bill, for example, who's got money coming in from DistroKid and money coming in from a publisher, maybe a song trust, sound exchange royalties, and a bunch of different platforms. And some poor guy like me has to go into each of those platforms manually, go through the registration process, set up an account, wait for a billion weeks for everything to get set up, be told by the platform that something is wrong and, and the payment is delayed, and then go back to all of those platforms to make sure that all the bank accounts are linked and all of the uh, you know tax information is lined up. And it takes forever and artists can, get can take forever to get paid and often forget about the places where they're supposed to get paid. What does this look like with a platform like Mogul? Yeah, so you still have to maintain the accounts and relationships with these various collections, sure. entities, distributors, publishers, right? Uh, but yeah, what we've done is we've modeled our product uh, quite a bit off of, uh, excuse me, off of uh, Rocket Money or Mint.com, if you're familiar with those types of product experiences. Oh, yeah. So kind of from end to end, right, the, the mission is to help artists understand their business and achieve their financial goals. And so you log into Mogul. Uh, you go to a section of the app called sources and you find 
you know, all the platforms that make your money and you literally log in. So, you know, you give us your login and password information. We log, we connect with the sources or log in as you and scrape in your earnings files, statements, catalog files or catalog data and metadata. And we pull all that in from all those various sources once they're connected. Then we give you analytics on your business. So you can see sound recording and publishing all in one place, which we actually didn't expect that to be such a big deal. <laughs> but um, people are like freaking out. They're like, oh my God, I can actually see how much I made from ASCAP. <laughs> um, Jeff, when you said so, sound recording yeah. and publishing in one place, like I cried, like a tear. <laughs> just steer. Well, yeah. Like, it, oh my the, the, God. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like the industry like draws in these like boxes, like, oh, they have to be separate things. But to an artist, like, who cares? It's, money. it's like part of the, it's part of its money. It's part of part, you know? So yeah, so we're trying to, we centralize it. People are really digging that. And then uh, we have a section of the platform called audit, which, you know, we're only six months old. So we are a bit, we're new. We actually just launched last month. Um, but the audit section, once we, once you connect enough sources, there's a right way in which the royalties should be flowing. And so if you've distributed something through DistroKid, but the you know mechanical publishing royalties aren't coming through in certain territories through say song trust for that release you'll know right so the concept is that song trust distribution or royalties come in your mogul's connected to your song trust account it gets pulled in and you know if there's a problem you know hopefully instantly well i mean so how does that piece of it work cuz yeah i mean like a lot of times when you are distributing with a platform like song trust which for the viewers and listeners this is a publishing administration platform so this is yeah. these are the folks that are going out and collecting your songwriting royalties not just your performance royalties or your mechanical royalties but like your international performance royalties like the stuff that bmi is not going to collect for you uh because it's international and you're saying that mogul has a way to make sure that if there's if there's a chunk of that that's missing from a part of the country, Mogul can find that out? Yeah. So basically, if we just see from the data, from the thing is, all these platforms give you these really heavy CSV files with all of the usage and earnings data that includes territory, adverse subscription revenue, things like that. The that nobody's is, looking at. <laughs> no one knows how, yeah, no one knows how to make sense of it, right? But that's something a computer is probably really good at, like, quantifying and understanding, right? And so... Kind of like what I said earlier is, you know, if we see that a, a registration's off, right, or uh, royalties aren't coming in in the way that they should be, uh, yeah, we basically list that out for you. And right now, it's on the actual artist or manager or songwriter, whoever, whoever's using Google, to take that information and go to their publisher or, you know, and fix it themselves. Uh, I think hopefully, yeah, down the line, we'll start assisting people with that. But yeah, right now, it's kind of just connect the things that make you money understand your business. And if there's issues, we'll do our best to try and flag the issues so you know about it. I have questions about your tech stack. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm non-technical. Just so you oh, know. Um, but yeah, but I can, I can do, I can, I can do my best. Yeah. We can call my, get my your CTO on the phone. Bill, Bill needs to get talk. Yeah. CTO yeah. on the phone. Bill Bolden coming in hot. Oh, you can man. call him uh, if you want. <laughs> can we add a phone? Yeah. Just put the here? phone up to your, uh, your uh, laptop's mic. That, that'll work. I, Find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. It'll all be good. No, I mean, this sounds really cool. I got to say, I had a, I had a, a joke ready for when you first got on the stream. Cause I was reading your website and it said, you know, uh, go collect all the money that you're owed. Right. And, and I'm like, yes, you know, me as an indie, like 
I had a big max worth of streams from Spotify and with Mogul on my side. I can also get the fries. I'm going to get all right. four of those dollars. <laughs> thanks to Mogul. <laughs> I know you're holding out those last few bucks on me, Spotify. This, uh, <laughs> pennies. But I, I know it's no joke. I know that there's uh, because of the weird inorganic way that music law grew out of player pianos in the 1900s <laughs> we have a bizarre system where um depending on whether somebody let a needle touch a phonograph or a note touch a piece of staff paper you're right. being paid different ways in different countries and i'm glad you're putting it all in one place oh my I'm god i hate how right bill is about that that's not even a joke <laughs> so much of our royalty payment structure comes from the fact that we had p player pianos like that's not even an exaggeration yeah lawyers yeah. are the it's worst. interesting yeah totally it's interesting that like yeah stuff that uh yeah the way it worked like 100 or so years ago or 200 years ago is like the way it has to we have to like figure out how to make it work based on the the old way it's 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 crazy so. Yeah, it's 21st century technology trying to figure out 19th century law and payment structures. And, you know, thankfully, we have people like Jeff here who are so dedicated to setting up these payment platforms to figure this craziness out and get artists paid. And I know this is still in the early stages. You know, you 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 have your initial cohort of artists and, you know, you've you know, you've already collected tens of millions in revenue. But I know you're thinking like billions in revenue someday. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about like what the next five to 10 years look like for your platform? What are some of the big innovations you have in store? Yeah, for sure. So even like, it's funny, your announcement when you introduced me, I think you said it was like 30 million. We're tracking 30 million. I think two or three weeks later, since we wrote that, we're at 80 million. <laughs> so um, the, yeah, so the it's, it's growing really quickly. And yeah, we want to be tracking as much lifetime royalties for folks as humanly possible. But yeah, look, the next five years, um, you know, my, my last company, I think I was fortunate enough to learn. I, I built a digital distributor, which I sold to SoundCloud. And then I was the head of creator for SoundCloud for some time. So I kind of went through the process of, you know, starting something, growing it, selling it to a bigger company, you know, then having to deal with the politics of being in a bigger company and then kind of coming out on the other side. And I think when I think about the next five years, I immediately default to where I'm happiest and where I want to be. And for me, with my last business, I the first time an artist told me, hey, man, I was able to quit my day job today because of the tech you built for me, it, it, I, it made it so I couldn't do anything else in life. And so for me, I just want to be pursuing that feeling. That's sort of my purpose, I think. And when I think about size of company, I think I was the most happy probably when we were around like, you know, 15 or 20 people, we were profitable, we were kind of making our own way, it still felt like a family. And so I think for, for me, I'm, I, I think you can do great things with small teams. And I want to build just an awesome, lean killer team in tech that just pursues that passion. And whether that's five years, 10 years, 20 years, like, I think as long as I'm checking those boxes, we'll be good. And was mobile something that, that any is a mogul something that any artist can use or is it still like an invite only situation? Yeah. So, uh, we launched, I think three weeks ago, something like that. And yeah, anyone can sign up and use it. It's a freemium subscription right now. Uh, we learned a lot, right? I think 
we kind of did the typical startup thing, which was let's launch with what we're a little embarrassed about and not try to not make it make it perfect. Right? <laughs> but, you know, and the response has been really good, right? We're seeing a lot of early traction. People are signing up every day that we don't know. We've had some really big acts also sign up that we never expected. And, but we kind of know we're like not like fully there yet, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, a lot of it right now is just how you say, um, you know, we're, we're pivoting like crazy and trying to learn as much as we can to be as close to the customer. Does that answer your question, actually? Well, right or, on, sure. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, and I think yeah, I jumped but, on, uh, I, I hopped on Bill's question there. So Bill, did you want to I, ask him I, So I, I work in multiple startups at once is what I do. And uh, yeah. always that sweet spot between like four and 20 people is my sweet zone for all of them too. Um, I'm really curious, like right now, who your ICP is, right? You're the, the ideal, not the insane cloud posse, but the, um, unless oh, they're there. I thought for uh, sure that's the, what you were talking about. The ideal customer we're, profile. We're, like, we're simply I, going after the insane cloud posse and then we're just going to quit. That, yeah. that is yeah. our, our, our ICP yeah, sure. at this startup ICP, is the ICP. The ICP. <laughs> um, no, but like, obviously Sorry. like Taylor Swift has her own army of lawyers, I probably am only ever leaving a Big Mac on the table unclaimed. So what's the right scope of person to fit in with where mogul makes sense? Like mid-tier? Like Yeah, yeah. So it's it's funny. There's like there's I think if you had asked me that question pre-launch versus now, it would be a different answer, <laughs> to be honest. So before we launched, we had this assumption, right? And this is like what we kind of raised some capital off of, and uh, which was, you know, if you were an artist who makes maybe more than half a million a year you probably have a business manager, right? And what a business manager does, if you're not familiar, is they are sort of like the CFO to your career, right? They help you, they help do like deals. They usually sometimes have a royalty department. They pay, they issue payments to all the third parties and things like that. So we kind of assume like, okay, if you're with the business manager, they're probably taking 5%. And, you know, the money side of your business is probably pretty tight, you know? So we were thinking 500K a year and probably below kind of, maybe in the yeah middle middle music like upper middle maybe you have some major artists coming off of majors right stuff like that um and when we launched we found like that also people in the half a million dollar range and up also had the same problem like even though they had business managers they still felt in the dark they still felt like they weren't getting paid 100 percent of what they were owed they were kind of just saying oh our, we trust our business manager to do this for us but there's not a whole lot of accountability and um, yeah, so I think to, to answer your question, we thought middle market, but we're actually getting some like pretty like big name artists and brands and classic rock catalog is going through. Um, you could probably and, find a lot like in yeah. partnering with those business managers too, right? I was just like, thinking they, that, yeah. they're, they're your clients Definitely. to help them do their jobs better. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. And so we are doing that and it, it's been interesting, right? Like some, some business managers really dig what we're doing and we're, we're, they're running some of their clients through it. And it's, you know, if we find any lost money, like that's totally the business managers win, right? Like let them take it. We're sort of software for them. Um, and then we also have people who are just super not cool with it too, right? They're like, and, <laughs> and it's kind of interesting. They're like, Oh, you know, we don't, we have, we have people who handle this. We don't need any technology coming in and, and confusing things or, or, you know, and so we're also getting a little bit of like defensibility, which I think is a good, it's, I think it's good. I think it usually means you're onto something. Um, yeah, it probably means you're doing thing, something right. Yeah. The other thing the other I learned, weird, oh God. 
Yeah. Go ahead. Well, Sorry. I was just saying that super quick. The other is uh, auditors too. So there's this other kind of interesting situation where if you're an auditor auditing a major label catalog or a large artist, a lot of these data sets are so big, they break Excel, right? And there's actually like a lot of sort of things that just by nature of us building, putting all this in our database in a way that can scale, um, we're actually finding ourselves actually like helping people create their kind of um, uh, like data rooms, if that makes sense, as like sort of a side thing, which has been an interesting niche as well that we didn't expect to go down. But yeah, we're seeing where that's going to lead to. <laughs> I like I liked what you were talking about, how some business managers think they're a little intimidated by it because we we have this problem at multiple of my tech startups, uh, one of them very saliently, but um, it's the whole early adopter curve, which is like when you're brand new, there are people who will get on the train early and there are people who just weren't going to, whether you're doing a good job yeah. or not or whatever, because they're just not that kind of person. And uh, what we had to learn across the course of a lot of startups was to stop taking that personally and be like, okay, fine, you're not ready for the new the new hotness. Next, someone else is. Yeah. And so when you yeah. we always kind of get them on the comeback when it's like, you know, six months ago you weren't ready to do this, uh, but now all your peers are. Now who right. is ready to do this, right? And so we just call that, you know, the early adopter, middle adopter, late adopter curve. Totally. And it sounds like you're going to have the yeah. same thing. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's like totally common with, you know, tech startups for sure. And you're always going to get no's, even if it's like a no-brainer, easy way to make, help someone make money. It's like, you know, and you never know, also just never know what's going on in someone's life too, right? So, you know, maybe you get them on a bad day or something. But yeah, we we move on and we just keep pushing and um yeah i i think we kind of just have this faith that like if we're solving a real problem and we're helping people make more money we will have value and people will hopefully want to use it if we do a good enough job our guest has been jeff ponchik he is the founder and ceo of mogul the financial platform that integrates all the royalty streams that artists have really really exciting you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting usemogul.com jeff this has been really, really cool. I feel like I'm already drawing up a list of artists and other industry professionals that I need to tell about with respect to this uh, platform because I think there's a lot of use cases that I'm already imagining are going to be really uh, obvious to the people I work with. This is cool. Before we let you go, one last question that we have for you. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Good question. It's a very broad question. It is insanely broad, um, and yet we ask it, it every week. It is insanely broad. Yeah, it's good, though. I think for indie creators, you know, I, I, will, I will give an answer that's a little self-serving. I think that it's important to create time, whether it's once a week, once a month, you know, once a quarter, to actually sit down and look at your data and try and understand the metrics of your business and what makes it tick. Um, one of my favorite stories ever is I was at a company uh, called Full Screen long ago, and I used to work with like a lot of YouTube musicians. And we used to watch the audience retention graph like a hawk, right? And we would look at when in an artist's music, you know, their fans would start to drop off. And the artists who were open to um, taking that feedback and letting it say affect the way in which they produced or created content saw like 
a ton of like awesome, um, they, they saw, they saw growth, right. Um, whether it was on the platform or in their business. And so that's just one example, but I think even if you're someone who isn't analytical or is maybe a little bit afraid at looking at the business or, or the data behind the business, like find someone who might be willing to help you. Right. And I think creating that consistency, uh, and that, uh, yeah, that consistency of coming back and just, you know, trying to look at the data can really pay off in spades. Great insight. Jeff, this has truly been a pleasure. Please don't be a stranger, all right? We'd love to have you on again real soon. Our thanks to Jeff Ponchik, to Bill Bolden, producer Lauren, and all the viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. Lauren, if you could, could you close us out with the uh, Elisa Rock Doc Crimson track from Down Upright's We're Doomed, We're Dancing album? And with that, we'll see you all next week. Thank you all for checking out Break the Business.